We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, let's take a look here at Mark chapter 9 and verse 30 and following. Last week, we started looking at um, two very intimate discussions that Jesus had with his men. In verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 9 through 13, he had an intimate discussion with them about the cross. They didn't quite understand this stuff about why does he have to die? And Jesus let them know that John the Baptist had to die like it was predicted, and Christ had to die like it was predicted, and all of you 12, you're going to have to take up your cross and be seen as an enemy of the state. And then he said, all who seek to come after me, all God's children are going to have to take up a cross. Paul said, I die daily. And so he had an intimate discussion with them. He that loses his life, he will find it. You have to be willing to say yes to God and thus no to the world and scorned by them. What did it say about Moses? He considered the reproach of Messiah greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Paul said, let no one cause any trouble for me. I bear on my body the brands of Jesus. That's my letter jacket, that I'm the real deal, that I have suffered. And then he looked at in verse uh, 14 down through verse 29, another intimate discussion. Why could we not cast it out? Come alongside, gentlemen, take a knee. Why could you not cast out the demon as you did a year back earlier when I sent you out by twos and made you trust in me implicitly for everything and you did it? Why could you not do now? Well, because you're full of yourself now. And you were full of God then. Why could you not cast it out? Because of your self-confidence. You just became an exorcist rather than a man of prayer. This kind comes out by prayer. Why could you not do anything powerful? Because you don't pray. And so that is a conversation God has to have in an intimate way with all of his children. The cross there, how do we sing? There is a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. I give up my will, my word, my glory, and my strength to him. And to do this, it's going to be magic. It's going to be by the power of God, not through any gizmos or programs or chantings by me. It's going to be the power of God. You're going to have to learn how to pray. He that is much for God had best be much with God. Well, now in verse uh, 30 and following, we're going to have four more intimate conversations in private between Jesus and his men. Whenever you're going to have the training of the 12, you're going to have to have essential private conversations where God speaks to the heart of his people by his word. Anybody that is anybody for God has had very close upfront areas where he has poured out his soul to God and God has led him. Well, these are four more of them. In verse 31 and in verse 32, it says, uh, he is in verse 30, he went 
and began to go throughout Galilee of the north. And he didn't want anybody to know about it. So he goes 25 miles from Mount Hermon all the way down to Galilee. And now he begins to teach his disciples. So it's like walking here to Louisville, all right? And I think he said, I'll meet you back at Louisville. And so he's teaching his disciples and he is telling them. Now I want you to notice, he doesn't want anyone to know where he is and what he's doing. Because in 31, I want to get face to face with these men. Whenever your output exceeds your intake, your upkeep becomes your downfall. If you're going to be much for God, you are going to have to be much with God. There has to be an intimacy. Moses comes down from Sinai and his face glows from the presence of God. He tells everybody what he learned, their face didn't glow. It's not just information, it's your proximity, that you're close to him. And so, in verse 31, he's teaching his disciples. And he's teaching them that the Son of Man is to be delivered up into the hands of men. Literally, he's going to be betrayed. And they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. This time, he really draws it out. I'm about to suffer. I know it's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to deliver me up into the hands of men. And they are going to, I'm going to suffer and they're going to put me to death and I'm going to rise from the dead. And he tells them now, if the point is, I know this is coming. I want you men to understand something. That my death is God's plan. My death is God's word. And my death is God's victory. I'm not going to be defeated by this. I'm not going to be outmaneuvered. I know that this is coming. The first thing ever spoken about me by Simeon is, Mary, someday a sword will pierce your soul. And so I'm going to die. And this is important because we have to understand this. These men couldn't. You see it in verse 33. They, were, they could not understand this statement. The cross was simply beyond them. Would you say that is the same for us and for all men? Trying to understand the mystery of why for God to give us life, that his son, the divine being of the son of God, had to die. Why did this have to happen? He lets them know this is integral to your entire existence and your understanding of the entirety of the word of God. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning him and all of the scriptures. The problem is man can't comprehend the substitutionary death of a divine being for his enemies. The cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to we who are being saved, it is the power of God. I remember as a young Christian, I had heard the gospel about Christ had died for me and I put my faith in him and I really didn't understand what that meant. And I got with a guy named Jim Coatman from Fredericksburg, Texas that was on staff for Campus Crusade. I can still see it on the fourth floor of Kerr Hall in the spring of 1972. And I, sorry, it was the fall of 72, getting ready to go to what was called the 
Um, We we called it something back in those days. Where all the college students got together. Called the Solution Bowl. That was it. Down in Dallas. And I remember asking Jim Coatman. We talk about Christ dying for our sins. What does that mean? Because I had no parallel. There was nothing I could put it next to as to what that meant. Does that mean that because of our stupidity that he fell in the midst of this intrigue and because of our our sins and stupidity, he ended up getting caught in in what should have been meant for us. I didn't quite understand the idea of imputation, substitution, atonement. I didn't, I couldn't fathom that. And Jim Coatman said, in Israel, they had a day called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, yeah, I know about that. And that is where you took a perfect goat, no spot, And the high priest laid his hands on it and pronounced the sins of Israel. And then that goat died for what the nation did. And they sprinkled his blood between God and the Ark of the Covenant with the righteousness of God. And one died for a holy God and unholy men. And so he cried out, why have you forsaken me? It was because of us. And I went, and I saw it. And all of a sudden, I understood why in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned and someone died. Uh, Why Abel is sacrificing and Cain hates sacrifice. Why does Noah get off the ark and the first thing he does is he sacrifices and Abraham is sacrificing and Isaac and Jacob are sacrificing and Israel sacrifices and he died and it removes the old covenant and we celebrate communion of the sacrifice of Christ and we look into heaven and there's a lamb standing as if slain There's your whole Bible right there. It all revolves around the atonement of Christ, and it clicked, and I could see it. And all of a sudden, my Bible began to be a Christocentric book about Jesus to the glory of God. Ain't that something? And I was a phys ed major. And that's what has to happen to all Christians. They have to get broken by the cross, crushed by the cross, where they can never, ever, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the symbol of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross, for there God's dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, I'll cherish the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. And so they can't quite fathom this. And Christ is saying, everybody circle up, take a knee, listen to me. This is not an accident. I'm not going to be caught out of place. The Roman guard is going to fall before me. I'm going to offer myself. No one takes my life from me. I give it up of my own accord. I could call 72 legions of angels And I'm not because of you. Are you with me? No. (laughs) They didn't. Because in verse 32, they didn't understand it. Doesn't that make you feel good that they're as dumb as us? (laughs) Yeah, it really does. Ignorance loves company or something like that. They're just like us. And in verse 32, they were afraid to ask. Because it's scary when you start talking about following a man that's seen as the enemy of the state. 
and is hated and cursed. Amen? I'm afraid to ask what that meant. You must bear your cross. And so this is his first private conversation on this new day after the previous. We're going to talk about the cross. That's why whenever you disciple somebody, you can't move on from this point. If they do not have their breath clutch on them and stare off into the sky trying to fathom that the Son of God gave his life for them, unless they can stop at that, they really can't go on. Conversation number two in verse 33, they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, maybe the house of Peter, he began to question them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. You know what they were discussing on the way? Who was the greatest? In the light of Christ talking about his death, while they're all moving down, Jesus notices them at a distance. There's little clusters of three. Whenever you see three young men get together talking, you know there's some bad stuff happening. You know? <laughs> and he sees them talking. So he asks them when they get back. He knows what they were talking about. Psalm 139, before there's a word on my tongue, thou dost know it all. And so he just says, what were you discussing on the way? He knows, but he wants to hear them say it. He wants to see them bring it out in the light that they got away from him. And I want you to bring it out in the light. You tell me. What were you talking about? And in verse 34, what's it say? They kept silent because they're embarrassed. They instinctively know this was some stuff you had to do in skullduggery to talk about. Because on the way, they had discussed with one another which was the greatest Who's number one? Peter said, well, I'm the guy that got my name changed, the rock. Yeah, well, we're the sons of thunder, and thunder trumps rock. <laughs> well, I'm James the less. I'm little Jimmy. All right. So, well, I'm Jude Thaddeus. Well, I'm Simon the Zealot. I got some, some notches on my belt of Roman soldiers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well... In verse 35, sitting down, he called the 12. He's not going to answer their question. Who's the greatest? Well, I'll tell you. No, he's not going to answer it. He's going to treat the question like a cancer. And this is the next intimate conversation. Y'all want to know what greatness is. Boys, I'm going to tell you. This is it. Verse 35, if anyone wants to be first... He shall be last of all and servant of all. Greatness is not status. Greatness is your willingness to go down. It's your willingness to serve. We have in our country a particular honor that if a man gets it and he appears on any campus, West Point or whatever, any place in the country that he appears on any base, he does not have to salute anyone. 
if he merely wears one thing around his neck. Anybody know what it is? It's the Medal of Honor. If you won the Medal of Honor, Forrest Gump, I think you had like six of them, all right? If you won the Medal of Honor and you walk into the presence of a five-star general, you can return a salute, but you don't have to because you gave it all. That's the price of the Medal of Honor is you lay your life down. And so if you want to be great, you've got to be the servant. And it's not just service, but in verse 36, it's who you serve. Taking a child, he said him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said, whoever receives one child. It's talking about the Christian, a child. He comes to God with nothing in his hands. A child has nothing to bring. Christians are like children, especially in the first few centuries. Consider your calling. There are not many mighty according to the flesh, not many uh, noble, not many wise. James said, God hath chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. They made fun of Nicodemus. Can any prophet come out of Galilee? Check. No prophet does. This multitude that's accursed has gone after him. Check the Pharisees. None of them is followed. None of the degreed people. The Christians were seen as lowly. And so it's your taking. It's not just your serving, but you have to serve the child. You've got to serve the little guy. You've got to serve the guy that nothing in his hand he brings. I'm willing to serve the body of Christ as long as I can choose who I serve. See, And so you have to be able to serve anybody. And when you do that, in verse 37, you now enter into another realm. Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. You receive me. You receive God that sent me. You put your hands on my child. You put your hands on God's kid. And so you're serving as David would say, of thy, oh, what did he call the believers of his day? As to thy majestic ones, they are all my delight. One time when I was a younger fellow, I took Ben and John, my two sons, to a Texas Rangers day down in Arlington. They were playing at that old stadium, you remember? And uh, it was a, we took a busload of YMCA kids down there. And I took Ben and John. We went to the game, we got out, and we started walking to the buses, and it was YMCA day, and there was just kids all over the park going to buses. Now, John Clark, my second-born boy, uh, played for the St. Louis Cardinals, and uh, my nickname for him was Retirement, okay? <laughs> he played for the Cardinals, made it all the way to the World Series, got a World Series ring. He was the stolen base champ of the Big Eight, playing for the University of Kansas. Uh, drafted eighth round, went to the Cardinals. And uh, he could fly. He could flat run. And uh, sometimes when he would be out, he would get hit with a running fit, kind of like a dog will sometimes. It would just overwhelm him, and he would just take off, just, just run him, all right? I mean, the spirit was in his feet, okay? And he'd been, he would get to running and leaning out and to go faster, and then he'd do a face plant, boom. And so every once in a while, we'd be out, and all of a sudden, he had a running fit, and he'd go, take off, and Teresa would go, there he goes, follow him. 
So I run after him, and sure enough, boom, 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 boom. Well, he had a running fit there at Texas Ranger Stadium out there on the caliche, on the gravel. And he takes off running, and I take off after him. And uh, he's running, and he runs right up close to a big bunch of African-American kids getting on a bus heading over to their part, that part of Dallas. And John does a face plant right in the middle of them. Boom, like when you see them flying saucers land, you know. Boom, 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 boom. Just took the hide off of him and the kids scattered, you know, crazy white boy. <laughs> and this black kid probably is about 12 years old. And he comes running up to John and he goes, hey, John couldn't have been eight. Hey, little buddy, Holmes, you got some wheels. <laughs> and he's shaking all the caliche off of him and the blood and stuff. And John's sitting there and says, man, you got some wheels. You can flat run. And he pats him on the shoulder. Are you okay? Okay, now you be careful. And I'm watching this kid that I don't know his name, and he is putting his hands on my kid and loving my kid and complimenting my kid. And I just looked at him, and I thought, where do you want to go to college, son? <laughs> what, what do you want? If, if that, anything that kid wants, he's got. And I still don't know his name. Why did I feel such affection for that boy? Because he loved my son. And that's what Christ says. You take one of my kids and you take hold of a father's heart. So that's who you men need to realize who you are when you're about to step up as the 12. You are, like me, servants of God. And you don't get to pick who you serve. And you don't get to pick what you do. You do what I call you to do. Well, he goes on down here, and incidentally, I'll just throw something at you. Uh, this is what is called a reform. He's calling the disciples back to an original standard of leadership that you find in David, Moses, Joshua. We're not going to have any more lengthening your tassels, widening your phylacteries, loving the chief seats at the synagogues and at the banquets. We're going to be servants. We're not going to have these jokers that load great loads on men and will not lift a finger to help them. That's done. Get used to different. We're going back to the original abstract of what a man is to be in the Garden of Eden that Abel, uh, Adam, are the servants of God. So we're going to be servants. That's why... Uh, this is so alien to us because there's nothing like this in our environment, really, of being a servant. Uh, Paul said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen. Paul was a climber, and he had to learn how to serve. Do we all have to learn this? We have to learn how to serve. So first, I want you to see what I did on that cross, and then I'm going to show you what you got to do. You've got to serve. Whenever we do funerals, and I've done a bunch of them, 
No one ever compliments somebody because they were handsome or they were rich or they were powerful or they were talented. Do you know that? And I'm a professional funeral doer. And we never compliment people for their accomplishments. We compliment them for their love. Y'all remember the first funeral in the Bible is Lydia. She died and they went and got Peter and they said, we can't afford to lose this woman. Could you bring her back? Peter said, I've never done that before. Well, could you do it? And they stood around her body and the widows wept and the widows were holding something in their hands. What was it? The garments that she had knit for them in her life. She was a seamstress for them and they just cried and wept. We can't lose this woman. And Peter brought her back. Proverbs, what is desirable in a man is his kindness. Proverbs, a gracious woman attains honor. Remember Ebenezer Scrooge? That spirit of Christmas present takes him to his nephew's party and people are laughing at his name and his memory and he makes Ebenezer watch it. They don't think much of you, do they? He takes him to Bob Cratchit's house. Let's have a toast for Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge, it's Christmas, dear. All right for Christmas. A toast for Mr. Scrooge. And he has to watch it. That's what they think of you, Ebenezer. And it's painful. And so... This, this is the coin of the realm, is servanthood. Well, in verse 38, let's have another intimate discussion. After saying, whoever receives a child in my name receives me, John said to him, now this is a trivia question. How many times in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is John quoted? Answer, once. John's name is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but he's never quoted except one time, and this is it. When we think of John, what do you think of? He is the disciple who Jesus loved. John said that about himself. He loved me. Well, you want to see the heart of John? Here's the heart of John. After Jesus finished this lecture, I'm not impressed with your status. I'm impressed with your servanthood toward those who name the name. You're to be the servants of the servants of God. John said, uh-oh. Verse 38, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to prevent him because he was not following us. They had failed in casting out a demon. This guy was succeeding. Uh, he was doing it in Christ's name. They weren't doing it by prayer, and they were told to help somebody in Christ's name. We weren't helping. We were, verse 38, hindering him. Because we're told that it's all about God, he was not following us. John confesses four sins in one sentence. 
Now, folks, beloved, this is spirituality. It's whenever Jesus shows you what he's going to do, tells you what he wants in you, and you back up and you see the opposite in yourself. Can that ever happen? Only in humans can that happen. And then you take what you did, and that's not just what he did. He says, we did this. He confesses for the entire body of the 12. We saw this guy. I can't tell you who he was. Was he a disciple of John the Baptist? Was he an Apollos type who just stepped out on his own and trusted God and found out that God could help him no matter who he was? We don't know who he was. But he said, we tried to hinder this guy. That's called confession. And he just kind of leaves it with Jesus. The reason we did it is because he wasn't of our happy band of merry men. Jesus said in verse 39, do not hinder him. He said, no, son, you did wrong. Let me stop just a second to encourage your heart. The disciples at this point of their ministry are like a, a, a group of six-week-old German shepherd puppies that are stumbling all over each other. Lord, this shall never happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. Let's build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is my son. Listen to him. We brought him to your disciples. He couldn't cast them out. Unbelieving generation, how long am I to be with you? What were you talking about on the way? I really can't. I'm not real sure. <laughs> Lord, we tried to shut this guy down. Sit down, son. Have you ever just had a time where you just keep doing the wrong thing? They just keep stumbling over the wrong thing. What I want you to do is everybody here, turn to the guy next to you and go, eh. <laughs> that's you, yeah, because it is. Does this encourage you that these guys could mess up? They messed up because they do stuff just like us. And so he turns to him and he says, verse 39, you were wrong. Don't hinder him. There's no one who can perform a miracle in my name, meaning trust me, act in my name and for my power, and soon after be able to speak evil of me. See, this third deal is called a correction, and it's the idea that their being with you is not essential. The issue is whether they're with me. Are they serving me? Do they speak well of me? Yes. Then you leave them alone. They don't have to be part of your merry band. They have to be part of mine. Do y'all remember whenever Moses said, I need some help, God said, take 70 of the leaders. The Spirit's going to come on them. You'll know it because they're all going to prophesy about the great deeds of God. The Spirit comes down. 70 men begin to prophesy. And Joshua comes running up to him. And he says, hey, back in the camp, there's two guys that we didn't bring out here. They hadn't earned the right to be elders. And they are prophesying in the camp. The Spirit of God somehow has slopped over on these guys and hit these guys. Their names are Eldad and Medad. And I'm telling you right now, they're out of bounds. 
That's the way young guys tend to be. They're not part of us, so they can't be right. And you remember what Moses said to him? He said, are you jealous for my sake? He said, uh, how do you put it? Would that all God's people were prophets. I wish everybody around here would extol the great names of God. Come here, Joshua. He said, this is not all about me. It's not about all your mentor deal. That's not the deal. It's about God. Isn't that a good lesson? Uh, Paul said, remember in Corinth, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas. What then is a Paul? What is Apollos and Cephas? They're servants through whom you believed as God gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So then neither he that plants or he that waters is anything. It's God who gives the growth. Amen. Jesus is teaching those men this. We're not starting a Christian cult here. The Petrine cult, the Johannine cult. It's not about you. It's about me. Uh, in verse 40, the lines had already been drawn. He that is not against us is for us. If they're not my enemy, then they're my friends. He's like saying, fellas, they must be for us, not with us. They can meet at another church. The issue is whether they are servants of Christ. John Wesley used to say, if your heart is right, give me your hand. And so he's trying to get them away from exclusivity, that we're the only guys. We're not. It's Christ. Well, I'll give you an illustration of this. Years, I may have told you this before. Years ago, I went and spoke to the Denton Chamber of Commerce, and I prayed for a meal, shared with them a little bit, and then I left to head off. And I left to head off, and I, I went to a 7-Eleven. And I went inside, and there was a guy sitting on a walker out there. When I went in, he went, hey, Tommy, how you doing? Pretty good. You go to Denton Bible? Nope. Okay. Just wondering. Went inside and bought me something. Girl at the cash register. Hey, Tommy Nelson, good to see you. What can I say? It's good to be here. I'm leaving. A guy gets out of his car, walking on up. Oh, Tommy Nelson, good to see you. Good to see you. You read my books? No. You sing the Song of Solomon? Yeah. Oh, you ought to see it. It's incredible. thought my fame had spread. I got home, had to go to the bathroom, looked in the mirror, and I had my name tag on. <laughs> Hee-haw! <laughs> you ever been humbled like that? <laughs> you ain't that great. Well, verse 40 he says, look, don't hinder them. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your followers of Christ, truly he will not lose his reward. God knows when anybody does a, a lowly something, he knows who you are. Y'all remember when Elijah had the widow of Zarephath that fed him and he said, uh, I'm gonna, you're gonna be fed all through this famine just by me, this 
Oil is not going to run out. Trust me, that flower is not going to be emptied. We don't even know her name, but you were willing to help me. Elisha and the woman of, of uh, Shunem, he turns to Gehazi. What can I do for this lady? Madam, who can I? She's got everything she needs. Gehazi says, well, she doesn't have a kid. Her and her husband can't have a kid. Elisha says, they do now. Gave her a child because she helped me. And so he says, that's what God's looking for, is you to be a supporter of Christ. I've got a buddy out and lives west of here, a dear buddy named Ray. And boy, God has just been working so greatly in his heart. And last Sunday, he was watching on the computer machine, and we had Stephen George. Was that his name? India's, there's 27 Georges. Okay, okay. Stephen George. And he was going with his wife, Rachel, to India to set up this institute that did like, everything you can imagine. And Ray said to me, who was that guy from India? And I told him, he said, he's doing what? And I told him, and he said, that's where my wife and I'd like to put our money. He didn't even know what the guy's full name was, but he said, that guy's doing God's work. Now, that's what we're looking for here, a man that's committed to the cause. Well, in verse 42 and following, have y'all got the picture so far about going to the back of the room and letting God move you up? That's what God wants. Let me tell you another self-humiliating story about myself. <laughs> and I think God did this to me just to teach me a lesson. When I graduated North Texas State in 1973, uh, you went through the graduation uh, rehearsal and I looked for my name and my name was not on that chair. And I went to the guy and I said, hey, my name isn't on the chair. This is like a bad dream, you know. My name isn't on the chair. Okay, let me see. Yep, you didn't get a class turned in. What was that? Microbiology with Dr. Vela. I said, I earned a D in that class. I know <laughs> darn well, I, I know. Because it was a major's class and I was a minor in biology. They were all over my head. And so I, he said, well, and I went over to the uh, president's office, Jitter Nolan. And I said, her name was Estelle Stevens. I can still see her today. And I said, I went over there to graduate. The good <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. She said, here, we need to find Dr. Vela. And if you'll just wait, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, get, move back from the window. Don't move back from the window. Yes. Yeah, he's in, he's in Mission, Texas right now. He finished on a vacation. He's from Mission, Texas. Remember these? And we got a hold of Dr. Vela. Dr. Vela? See this, Dr. Vela? Uh, Dr. Vela, can you hear me? I can hear you. You remember having a Tom Nelson in your class? See, I had Tom. I remember Tom very well, um, he didn't have a, a card that got handed in. Tom Nelson, you need to check that, Dr. Vale. No, no, he made a D. Yes, he made it. Tom made a D, yes. He, so he did pass the course. Yes, Tom passed the course. Okay. Tom, you passed the course. And so they took me over, and uh, I let the guy know, I passed the course. <laughs> a D. And he said, okay, but we can't put you where you were because we can't move everybody from the end section back one. And so we're going to put you, guess where I got put at? 
Dead last. <laughs> Dead last. Now, the College of Education was getting their degrees last anyway. And so I got my degree. And, and I had become a Christian, and I was about to head off into ministry. I really was. And so they announced it. It was like Bill Zimmerman, Tom Zook, Lois Zlomke, Robert Zupke, Billy Don Ziz Skamansky, and Tom Nelson. And everybody just started applauding because they thought that I was, you know, a kid that they had found on the campus or something. And, you know, they gave him a degree. <laughs> People were weeping. That is so good for the college to do that. And that's how I graduated. And it was almost like I could hear God saying, get used to it. <laughs> get used to it. When I graduated Dallas Theological Seminary, my family, Mel, a lot of people from Denton Bible, here I got a master's. And on my deal, my degree, it says Herbert Thomas Nelson, because that's my name, named after my father. And so, Dr. Roy Zook, remember Dr. Zook? He awards me. And now, Robert Thomas Nelson, which is the name of my nephew. <laughs> and I hear God, get used to it. Who cares if anyone knows it's you? You're not the big deal. It's me. Well, in verse 42, we conclude. Are y'all with me so far? You got to sit down and understand the cross, and you got to understand what greatness is. Go to the back of the room. Start your way up. It's the servant. And thirdly, uh, it ain't about you. We're not in the elevation of you game. It's in the glorification of Christ. In heaven, we're all going to take our crowns, our wreaths, throw them at his feet and fall flat and say, worthy is the lamb. So get used to it. Well, in verse 42, he concludes a major symphony with a minor note. He says, incidentally, boys, you cause one of these little ones who believe to stumble. Earlier, he talked about helping them. You hurt one of my kids. If I bestow leadership on you and you misdirect them, you let leadership go to your head like these Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and scribes and lawyers and all these guys. You do that, and it would be better if we took a heavy millstone, hung it around your neck, and threw you in the sea. You would do better to die and wipe your name from the registrar, and we never find your body, than for you to stand before me at having harmed my baby. You mislead them. You be a false teacher. 
You stand there with the Bible and the communion and the baptismal font, and you tell them I am not the Son of God, you tell them it's not by faith, that the Bible's not true, that the moral teachings of the Bible don't hold. And he says in verse 43, if you see your hand is going to cause you to stumble, if you see in you one iota of false, your hand's going to reach into the till where it shouldn't. Your hand's going to get on that, put it on that girl that you shouldn't. Your hand is going to strike somebody and wrath that you shouldn't. And incidentally, when you go read church history on the, after the suffering of the Christians under Rome, then Constantine becomes a Christian, and now it's legal to be a Christian, and pretty soon it's to your benefit to be a Christian, and pretty soon they just embrace the system. And I mean, you got corruption like you've never seen. Uh, Y'all know why they made priests celibates? They did it because they didn't want priests getting married and having bunches of kids, legitimate and illegitimate, and now having a kingdom that they would bestow on them from their bishopric or their abbot. And you'd have feudalism all over again. And they got to be such perversion in the leadership of the church that that's what started the Reformation. It wasn't over doctrine. It's that Martin Luther just said, I am tired of these guys robbing my people by their superstitions and taking their money. He got tired of that. As a matter of fact, Mario Puzo wrote the book, The Godfather. It's a takeoff on the Borgia family of popes. And so they became abominations on the stuff they were doing. And that's the story of church history. Catholic and Protestant, same thing. Well, he says, if you see this in you, this is, buddy, this is a great graduation message at a seminary. If you spot this in you, then you, you cut your hand off and you go through life a cripple rather than end it up you see verse 43? What's the last word in verse 43? Fire. In verse 45, if your foot is going to cause you to stumble, if you're heading in a direction that ain't right, that's why we had that conference yesterday on wokeness. This is where you see a direction taken by the church in our country that is a 180 from redemption. It's not a minor point. You see your foot heading in that era. You better cut it off right now. Because if I find you're misleading my people, Jim Jones, David Koresh, who else we got? Joseph Smith. You know, Joseph had lots of wives. Did y'all know that? They weren't other women. They were other men's wives. He just didn't like other girls. He liked your wife. Now, you see yourself doing this. You see where you can start. Are there ever occasions of people in ministry that start taking from the till money? They're innumerable of men that start building simply on their own glory are men that start 
doing like Hophni and Phinehas and messing with the, with the ladies in the fellowship. He said, if I see that, and if you see that, you better cut it off if you see in your body anything taking you that way. Because in verse 47, you're going to have two eyes cast into hell. Does this mean they lost their salvation? No, it meant that their, law, their lack of salvation showed up. We saw them for what they are, and they miss. I personally can't imagine of a guy representing God and using his position to illegally line his pockets or to illegally mess with something that he's doing in the dark. You've got to be more afraid of God. You know, you've got to be afraid of God. He said, that's my kid that you're doing that to. And in verse 45, where you're going to go, the worm doesn't die and the fire isn't quenched. It's an eternal hell. And in verse 49, everyone will be salted there with fire. Fire preserves. Hell is not soul sleep. It's not, what do they call it? Eradication or annihilation. It's not going to be annihilation where you just disappear. No, it's a conscience existence. Is this scaring the pajabras out of you? It's meant to. And he's addressing it to leaders that use their position to harm the people of God, to dishonor God. Peter said, because of them, the truth of God has been maligned. In verse 50, salt is good. And that's what we're to be. We are to be the preservers of society. We're the best thing ever happened to society. We preserve it. Uh, would y'all say there's a little problem with society today? Anybody been watching the news since, oh, yesterday? About how many murders we're now having? What are we going to do to change it? Nothing, because it started way back when we denied that there was scientifically, biblically, literally, philosophically, we denied that there was a God. And the highest of all creations was an accident called man. And man had no ultimate infinite glory. And with no God and no glory for man, you have no commands that you should not do among which are not stealing, not killing, not lying, not doing adultery, and something else bad, all right? And so now you lose God, you lose the dignity of man, you lose moral oughtness and guilt, you have no basis of justice, but you still have men with raging passions because they're children of the devil. And now you clump about a million of them in Minnesota, Chicago, Cleveland, Austin, and the like. And now what do these rudderless, motorless, ill-guided humans start doing? They have no, no uh, cinch. They have no border on their evil. You got a pit bull running loose and nothing to hold it back. And so what are they going to do? They're going to kill you. And they're going to drive by and kill you. They're going to drive by and kill you and your three-year-old kid. They're going to kill you because you bumped them in the street. They're going to kill you because they want your shoes. 
and on and on and on. And how are we going to solve it? We're going to take away their guns. Boy, that'll help. Idiots. Excuse me. No, I'm sorry, humans. But the solution, you don't get away with it being that easy. You godless, ungod-fearing group of evil men. You started raising these little gerbils. You started raising these little gremlins back years ago with no fear of God. And guess what? They hit puberty. And they're burning down society. And that's what you get, America, when you reject God, the church, the Bible, the creation, and right and wrong. You get blood in the streets. And you think you're going to fix it with a resolution? All right. I'll assure you, I don't want to be dogmatic, but ain't nobody right but me right here. All right. No, and if you listen to Congress long enough, ain't nobody going to mention the idea of sin, right, wrong, God, Ten Commandments, or hell. Nobody is going to mention it. And if somebody ever stands up and says, look, we made our bed we got rid of God and put Darwin in his place. Now we're having a breakdown of society. We're going to put Karl Marx in the place and cultural Marxism. You've gotten rid of God. You've gotten rid of man. You've gotten rid of right, wrong, dignity, the family. You've gotten rid of sexuality. You've gotten rid of marriage. Now you're forced to lie in the school to a kid who's nuts and tell him that you ain't nuts. You're a boy who wants to be a girl. You're totally sane. And now you think you're going to have some kind of taking away a gun or something and walk away. Think again. It's judgment day. God gave them over to a perverse mind that they might do those things that are improper. That's what you get. There's only one group of people on the earth that's going to be safe with. Guess who it is? It's us. It's us. We happen to believe in God and the creation and the dignity of man and right and wrong and sin and redemption and immortality, either they're heaven and hell. And that's the only place you're going to find security. So y'all just wait long enough till we burn this thing down, which they will. And they're going to come a-running because we're the only guys that got our heads screwed on by the grace of God. I feel better. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for our time together as a church. And uh, even though I can get all worked up and pontificate, you meant it to be addressed to all of us in a private conversation. That you had better understand what the cross means. And you had better understand what greatness is. And you'd better understand that it ain't about you. And it's not about Denton Bible. It's not Denton Bible's church. It's Christ's church. And you better make sure as you get elevated in the body of Christ that you don't turn a good thing 
into a demonic thing. May this church beautiful be among us. In Jesus' name.